Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Israel Soto. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. The invitation was very clear this morning by every one of our ministers up here. Is number one, do you have room for God? Do you have room for Christ? And the most intriguing and most challenging one is, will you allow him and will you follow him? This morning, if I can, just I'm going to cut everything up in my message. I'm a little more systematic, as you know me. But I'm going to just take pieces and excerpts of my conversation with you this morning and share what I believe the Lord has laid upon my heart personally and to lay upon yours uh, this uh, nativity time. You know, at my home, uh, and as I'm sure in yours, uh, my wife, uh, she didn't know I was going to say this, but she takes a good month and a half or so to prepare uh, our house. Uh, Hobby Lobby has nothing on us at home. Uh, I'm telling you, I, I, I'm in the way for two months uh, because there's strings of lights and uh, nutcrackers and angels and Santas rolling everywhere until they find their place uh, in that specific area of the house. And I, I take pictures every year of, of what she does because I really appreciate her gifting and her talents. Uh, she has the boys go over and put lights on her house and stuff like that. Isn't it incredible that somehow we've become conditioned now that all this lighting and fancy stuff we used to do in the past is hardly anything anymore. Uh, we, we probably the only house in our area that is lit and if anybody else just very little. But it used to be maybe some of us who are just as young as I am may remember when you used to be able to to drive with your parents uh, for hours and just look at neighborhoods filled with all the Christmas lights and and trees were all lit up and things. It was a beautiful time, yes? And, uh, you know, we couldn't afford too much uh, like Sister Soto. Um, In our homes, we had a simple tree, but it was always decorative and very, very beautiful. It just really brings out the best of the season because you see all the beautiful decor. You see how uh, the ladies have... uh, uh, fix the church of the venue and our Christmas tree back there ready for you to take pictures uh, this afternoon and uh, just decor everywhere it's a beautiful thing I was looking at her do this work uh, this past couple of weeks and I was just thinking of how pretty it all all of it is and and uh, how we have beautified Christmas uh, in a very special way and rightfully so it's a it's it's a joyous time but at the same time, somehow, I, I, I need to say, because I believe it was the Lord just kind of ministering to me. And because I, I was asking the Father, I said, Lord, do you appreciate all this? You know, there's people right now who are making a big fuss about, you know, not celebrating on the 25th. It's a pagan holiday. You know, to me, every day is Christmas because every day, I, Jesus is my born Lord in my heart. How about you? So you can fight about December and January and... He couldn't, have been married, uh, he couldn't have been born in December because it's cold and had to have been in the summer. I don't care. Uh, you deal with the chronology yourself. I don't have time for that. I, I'm too busy worshiping the Savior that was indeed born. So, but 
And there's other people that are arguing or maybe having a trouble with all the decor and the lighting and stuff like that. But I enjoyed it in my house and, and I enjoyed it here at the church. We don't have it on top of the church. And certainly uh, I will certainly deal with anybody who bows their knees and say, we worship you, old Christmas tree. Because that's not going to happen, not even our children. Uh, they're smarter than that, obviously. They've been, been taught well. But I was asking the Lord, I said, Lord, do you appreciate all of this? I mean, do you like this? Uh, because we certainly want to be careful to not offend uh, you or to do anything that's actually out of what you would enjoy of us doing during this time that we celebrate your birth. And I don't know how to explain this, and forgive me for, I may sound like I'm gibbering away, but I need to do the best to explain to you of how the Lord helped me to understand that sometimes all the decor and all the beauty will trivialize the reality of the tragedy of the nativity scene. I hope you understand what I'm trying to tell you. Sometimes because we have beautified the manger and, and we do the Christmas trees and all the angels and everything is so, so nice that it seems to condition us to think about Christmas as a wonderful time for everybody. And we really lose sight of the reality of the moment. You heard a lot of the story as the actors narrated uh, scripture. And I began to ask the Lord, so what would you have us to remember? Or what is it that we should never, never take light of? And somehow in my spirit, the Lord made me to feel the seriousness of the birth of Christ and what he went through just to get here. What he went through, what he gave up just to come here to mingle with us, to be savior of this world, to be offered by the Father with joy to come for a sinful people like you and I. Let me read a text and use this as a platform if I can this morning to speak to you just a little bit if you'll give me that time. Luke chapter 2 verse 7 says, And she brought forth her firstborn, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. The word I want us to key in this morning for a moment is the manger. We saw the innkeeper and thank God he was repented because he realized he, he missed the offer to house the king of glory. And I understood that. I pray in Jesus' name that that was his, really, his, his real sentiment. Uh, that the kings went back uh, having really embraced eternal life through the experience of having them come to meet this newborn king. I, I pray. Last week I prayed. That the, uh, I uh, spoke on the subject of the uh, Christmas the next day. And, and the potential of maybe even the royal men forgetting the whole experience after a while. They, they got back to a normal living and ruling their countries and their governments or whatever it was they were lords over. Or maybe the shepherds went back to shepherding and got so busy about their business that they may have forgotten the nativity experience or the manger experience. 
So we, we saw different aspects of it here in this drama. And it's wonderful because everyone here seemed to have grasped the reality of this newborn king, the savior of the world, Emmanuel, God with us. But if you'll go just a little bit before, which is what the Lord just kind of began to minister to me through this whole week, and I'm doing my best to kind of express it to you, is that how God was working all this time in the background to make this Bethlehem scene happen for all of us. You see, every one of us in this place today are not here by chance. Uh, you were invited by somebody. Uh, you were a member of this church. Uh, you're used to coming to church. Uh, uh, maybe you saw uh, the announcement over social media that there was going to be a drama and you wanted to come to church uh, at this time. And wh Whatever the case may be, well, one thing I can reassure you, you are not here by chance. Every one of us here are here by the providence of God. It's been ordained of the Lord. That you be here today or otherwise you really would not be here. Unless the Lord willed you to come into this sanctuary to occupy the pew you're in and to witness what you've just witnessed and get ready to hear what you're about to hear. It would have never happened unless God said, let it happen. Should you be saved as a result of all this, you'll recognize one day as all of us have that. The reason we were saved that day we were saved was because God was working behind the scenes to get us there. And so it was with the birth of Christ. Again, they paraphrase the story, and if I may, just a little bit. We are told of a migration that Joseph and Mary had to make. Now, they were in the city of Nazareth. This is where they lived. But the story takes us to Bethlehem. When we look at the nativity scene, we always think of the focal points, obviously the baby, Mary, and Joseph, and with good reason. But if we go back before all of this, we find out that a long time before, and they read the scripture out of Micah chapter 5, that God had planned this Bethlehem experience way before. So that means that he was working on it all this time. How many know that God does not lie? Oh, I was hoping, well, there's going to be plenty of salvations here this morning. I said, how many believe that God does not lie? He's faithful. How many know that his word will not come back void? So if he spoke it, that word is committed to fulfill that for which it was sent. And God had spoken about Bethlehem years before Christ came to this Bethlehem city. Micah 5 and 2, but you Bethlehem of Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely for then. His greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. But he spoke about Bethlehem. Now, we know in Scripture, Jesus many times is referred to Jesus of Nazareth. Correct? You've read about Jesus of Nazareth. But the Scripture mentions Bethlehem. 
the fact that Mary and Joseph were from Nazareth. Now, I'm just giving you a quick explanation as to why they referred to Christ of Nazareth. It's because that's where Mary and Joseph were. And it would be after the dedication that they would return to the city and he would live the rest of his life there until he began his ministry. Therefore, they knew that he was from Nazareth. But he was born in Bethlehem. And that tells me that God somehow had to work the family out of where they were because his word had to be fulfilled not in Nazareth but in Bethlehem. So unknowingly, I don't know why, but I do know that we are told that Caesar Augustus of that time, not knowing why, he gave a decree and ordered that everyone should be taxed and registered in the Roman Empire. Though maybe the population may have seen this as something governmental, something they had to obey, they all began to move and they all began to migrate into the big city. But all this time, what I want us to pay attention to is, though people saw this as a regular governmental terrestrial thing, it was actually the, the divine working in the lives of Mary and Joseph. God working to produce what his word had spoken in bringing this family into Bethlehem, therefore making his word true about the coming Savior. Are you with me this morning? Yes? And so the Bible says in Luke 2, that the IRS was born. Did you know that the IRS was born in Christmas time too? One Savior and another I don't know what. All went to be taxed, everyone into his, his own town, his city rather. Now we spoke and we heard the narrating this morning as well of maybe the thoughts of Mary. And this young couple having to migrate from that city of theirs a little north up from Galilee all the way into Jerusalem. She was ready. Think of the discomfort. She said uh, how uncomfortable it's going to be for us to, to, to ride on a donkey all the way into the city. It's quite the ways. We're leaving the comforts of our home at a very important time in our lives. How, how desperate she must have felt to, to think, what if I have the baby on the way? Uh, what's going to happen? We don't know anybody in the city. And it's obvious because no one took her in. And her biggest fear is of, of where are we going to stay? And Joseph wondering, where am I going to put my wife? She's well advanced in her time. I hope we find a nice clean room, a private home, or the courtesy of some common travel or tavern somewhere, somebody possibly willing to help a, a young lady like me, a family, a young couple like this, to be able to have their firstborn. And only to arrive into the city and their greatest fears explode because they try to find a place, and what do they find? Absolutely nothing. The migration of people had been so great, everything was occupied. And may have been something personal as the innkeeper told us that maybe he was worried about the liability of having a baby in his property. I don't know what that was. I don't know if that is true or not. But it could have been. The fact of the matter is that she could find no place. And therefore, they were caused to move out of the city. And forced into slip into the valley of shadows away from the city's comforts and luxuries. And find themselves in an animal Stable. 
We call it a manger. But it was an animal stall. We've beautified it up. We've decorated it and we've made everything plush. But it was a place where you keep cows and sheep and hogs and chickens. And you know that an animal stable, certainly back in the Middle East at that time, they didn't have the cement and they had the assembly lines and all whatever bands they have to feed and all this high-tech animal carrying machinery. No, no. The animals were there, and if it was muddy, it was muddy. There was a mud trough for the hogs, everything. We've put flowers, and we've put lights around the nativity scene that we like to look at, and it's a beautiful thing, but the reality of it, it was an animal stall. All because there was no room for them in the city. Now, I asked the Lord as I was thinking about that. I said, wow, why did you pick an animal stall? Why did you pick a manger? And again, the Lord speaking to my heart, maybe to understand that, you know, that manger really speaks a lot about who Jesus is. It really does. And I hope to give you just a couple of things to think about when you go home. That way, when you look at your nativity and seen at home and, and, and gather in your living room and everything's so decorated and beautiful. I, I want you to think of the reality of it, not to ugly the picture for you, but to get you to understand how much God really loves us. What does that manger, what does that animal say to us about Christ and the heart of Christ? May I suggest to you that it speaks to us of the pain and humiliation he went through just to come here to be our Savior. And I say this, I, I ask you to ponder this thought. Uh, again, the manger scene, uh, get away from being decorated in lights and glitter and, and just uh, in neighborhood cities and under trees and everything so plush and beautiful. But think of the animal stall that Christ came through 2,000 year, years ago. When you look at the decor that we've designed today, we miss the reality of what he gave up and what he came to receive. Who was Christ before he came to the manger? Who was the Lord? He was the king of glory. The ever existing one. He had no beginning and there is no end of him. He is the mighty God, the owner of all that exists. He is the ruler of the universe, superior to any power over every principality and government that has ever existed. He is an all-able God, a God alone, crowned in righteousness, glory, and glorious forever. <clears throat> this is who he was before he came to the manger. And he came to be born as the king of glory already in an animal stall. Now you would think that someone so grand as the Lord would have maybe chosen Caesar's palace. Trump Plaza. Amen? Such royalty. 
Do you think Bill Gates would allow his kid to be born in some shop or garage way back close to the river? He would not. Men don't do that. And mortal men, that's who they are, mortal, finite men. And we have here the king of glory, whom the Bible says heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. Whom the Bible says to us that he is the owner of all the cattle of a thousand hills. The one the Bible says he gives every fowl of the air, of the air to sing its song every morning. He measures the distance of the ocean. The king of glory. Do you realize who I'm talking about this morning? He should have come and been born in the best hospital in the world. He should have been come to born in Caesar's Palace the way that people know it. In Las Vegas or somewhere where it's plus and filled with gold and diamonds. Because such is his kingdom. But no. He was born in an animal stall. This was the lowly birth of him who would be called the savior of the world. Rightfully so, Isaiah spoke of him in chapter 53, verse 3, despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Chapter 49, 7, this was the base and vulgar birthplace of him whom the Bible says, him a man despised of whom the nations abhorreth. The king of glory, the savior of the world, the forgiver of our many sins, the one who holds the keys of heaven in his hand. That cute little manger we have grown fond of was the shameful birthplace of him that would die naked and nailed to a cross. That little manger we have grown fond of over the years, Christmas time, was that humble shed where he was born, whose dead body would be placed in a borrowed tomb. This would be the birthing place of someone who would go through life wearing the clothing of a poor man and working with lowly carpenters and fishermen, saying of himself, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. The King of glory, ladies and gentlemen, your Savior. Think of the pain and the humiliation of a king. That all the riches in this world could never suffice something valuable enough to be able to offer. There were cheap prizes that these men offered this baby. They couldn't have offered him all the gold in the world and may have sufficed the riches of which he is worth. But he gave all that up to be born in an animal stall. Why? 
because there was no room for him. The second thing this manger speaks about Christ and his love for us is that through his humility, we are accepted. Because of his humility, this manger displays the humble heart of Christ who was willing to accept someone like me. The fact that he was born in an animal stall reveals the open arms of a loving Savior whose invitation is made to us. And it's not a matter of status quo, corporate standing, or popular relevance in this world. How much money you have or where you stand in the corporate ladder. His humility showed the world he was willing to take everyone and anyone that anyone should decide to come and meet with him wherever you stood in life was welcome. At this manger with him. Now the fact of the matter is, and you and I know the arrogance of humanity, you and I might be afraid to approach someone who is royal in this world. As a matter of fact, they're untouchable. The higher you are on the corporate ladder or financially in this world, you and I, somebody like me, certainly would not be able to go into their room and say, hey, how you doing? I wanted to introduce myself. You can't. There's a long line. There's resistance. There's such royalty that they're covered and they're protected so that no one can touch them. Might be embarrassed to, to go dressed as well as we think we dress to Stand in the presence of church royalty where our clothing is so inexpensive and cheap compared to the shoes and the wear and clothing and attire that they wear. You might try to hide from showing your face to a ruler that is surrounded by protectors and caretakers who would never allow a destitute individual to approach them. Ladies and gentlemen, not so with Christ. Not so with Jesus. You see, Jesus came for someone like me, a lowly sinner. Someone who had nothing to offer a king. This manger reveals the heart of Christ saying, I will leave everything to make you understand I am willing to receive you wherever you are at in your life. This is why in his ministry, throughout his earthly ministry, he touched the poor. He was always with the outcasts, with the sinners. They came to him and they even sat down and ate with him. The Pharisees had trouble with him sitting with the politicians and those people who were sinners according to their judgment, rules, and laws. They would criticize the disciples. Why does your master sit with sinners like that? Remember the woman that came in to his house standing behind him. She bowed her knee. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and cleanse them with her hair. And Simon was there, the Pharisee, going, if this man was truly a prophet, he'd know who was touching him. And Jesus rebuked him because he knew what he was thinking. 
Simon, what she has done to me, you never done for me. It was the Lord who said, I came not for the well. I came for the sick. This manger needs to remind us every year that through this manger, the door of this manger, you and I were accepted by him wherever we are. And now someone might say in this place, well, pastor, I, I, I want to receive him, but my heart is too dirty. He was born in a manger. My heart is, my life is not suitable for a king like Jesus to, to come into my heart. It's not well prepared. He was born in an animal stall. Are you following me this morning? Do you understand what the Lord is trying to tell us? There's nothing, if you want to find a balance in life, there's nothing good enough for him. But he's willing to take everything from us. Lord, what could I offer you? How could I come to you? My heart is in shambles. I think the Lord would say to us, look at the manger. There were no Christmas lights at the manger. There were no pillows. The hay wasn't just freshly purchased. No vases, no nice bar stools. <laughs> Nothing like that. They were hogs. They were cows, the stench of animal. And you're telling me you're not good enough? Who will be willing to do that? Jesus. This is why he said, come to me all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus further said, all the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Doesn't matter where you're at in your life. The manger proves to us that he will accept you and me. The world would not have room for Jesus. The world of wise and powerful men had no room for him, but the sinners and the broken received him. I'm thankful that the Lord has accepted me. I hope that you are today as well. The fact of the matter is that in Bethlehem that day, there was no room in Caesar's palace, no room for him at the inn. But the question we're burdened with to answer this morning is the question that was posed to you by this drama team. Do you have room for him? Do you have room for Christ? Again, there's no excuse. You realize now if Jesus had brought his throne with him, then I can understand you and I would shun away and say, Lord, I'm not certainly worthy to even look at you, Father. Look at who you are. You're so grand and beautiful and 
just majestic. There's no possible way. But yet the Lord came and said, listen, I'm willing to walk through this to prove to you how much I love you. Christmas is so much more, ladies and gentlemen. It really is. I hope my wife doesn't feel bad after I prettied her house. and Now I'm making it seem like it really is of no value. It is, honey. It is. Maybe this morning you'll say, well, I... I want to receive Christ, but let me put it off for now, and I'll do it later. You think Mary could say, hey, listen, I'm having a baby. I can't. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll come back next week. Hopefully, you have a room. The baby was now. It was Jesus' moment now. The question that was posed to that individual was there. He, he, he had to take the challenge and, and take answer the question and, and take the responsibility and look within himself when he was asked, do you have room for this baby? And the answer for him, of course, was no. But if he had said, listen, wait, maybe next week I'll, I'll have room for him, Mary could have not waited. It was Jesus' moment right there and then. Just like it's time for us to receive Jesus today. This is why in scripture we're told now is the accepted time and behold today is the day of salvation. There's never a waiting for Christ. Don't ever fool yourself to thinking you have tomorrow because tomorrow is not yours my friend. We are very fortunate that God by his appointment we have been allowed to experience this nativity time together. But we may never spend another Christmas time together on the face of this earth. Tomorrow is not ours. And so if your response today when I ask you the question, do you have time for Christ? And that answer is, well, <coughs> I will later. Let me get a little bit older. I'm too young. Or as many say, well, I'm going off to get married. Or I'm going off to do this. I'm starting a new job. I'm moving to another country. I'm moving to another state. There's a, a, a time of escalation in my work. I'm getting, uh, getting promoted here. So I need to do it later. Really. There was no later for Christ there in Bethlehem that day. It was, the moment was now. And it is now for us even so today. As I close this morning, I'll leave you with one more thing concerning this manger. Not only does it speak to us of the pain and humiliation that our King of Glory went through just to prove His love for us. Not only does this manger speak to us of his humility to leave his throne room where he lacked absolutely nothing. You see, he was Christ and he was Lord. He was Savior of the world. He was God and God alone even before you and I. We have nothing to offer this king, but yet in his humility, he came and laid upon a manger in an animal stall.
to prove to us and to show us it doesn't matter what stage in life you're at, how messed up you might be. He will love you and restore you. But there's a challenge as well. And I believe that this very next thing that this manger speaks to us is probably what keeps most people away from him to receive him. And that is if you have room for Christ, the world have no room for you. Let me repeat that. Some of us, even those of us who are saved, need to understand this very important lesson plan. If you have made room for Christ, then you should have no room for the world. And if you do have room for Christ, the world will have no room for you. Please notice in the scripture, in Luke chapter 2, again, verse 7, it says that there was no room for who? For Jesus? For them. The key word in this passage is them. That means that when Jesus had to leave the city, so did mom and dad. All of them had to leave. They were all ousted from the city. They had Jesus with them. They had to take Jesus somewhere else. And with Jesus, they were going to travel. They had to leave the city as a complete family. This manger, ladies and gentlemen, speaks to us about the separation of the sons of God and the separation between the sons of the world. Jesus was given no room, and therefore those that were with him were given no room either. And so they left the world, the cities, the practices, the habits, the opinions, the worldviews, religions, and the sins of the city. And since the beginning of time, ladies and gentlemen, since the fall of mankind, the clearest message that we have got in the gospel is the Lord coming to show us that we have nothing in common with this world when we're with Him. If we are saved, we have nothing in common with the practices of this world. This manger brings clear identity of who we are as a church. There should be no abstract uh, misinterpretation of who the church is. Somebody who steps out of this worldly venue across the street shouldn't walk into this place and say, Oh, it's just the same thing. They should notice the difference. They should know when they walk out of this particular part of the world and to walk into a sanctified place, a venue where the Lord is worshipped, they should be able to tell that Jesus is in the house. That Jesus is with us. That Jesus is Lord in this house. It brings clear identity, this manger does. 2 Corinthians 6 and 17 says, Therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you and I will be a father to you. And you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You see, when you come to Jesus, you must leave the world. There's no and, if, or buts. The fact that so many people misconstrue this and don't understand this or desire not to. Not to practice it, Father, uh, 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 follow the Lord is the reason we have so many half-baked Christians in this world. Because they want to live here and they want to live there. And it's never been that way in Scripture. There's a separation. 
this manger speaks so much to us. And I thank God for him speaking that to my heart. There was a young man by the name of Peter Billhorn one time went to the great evangelist D.L. Moody and he asked, he said, Pastor Moody, how do I get rid of the world inside of me? He had obviously been wrestling. How, how, how do I get the world out? He said, fall in love with Jesus. Set a ringing in your heart after Jesus and the world will kick you out. If you fall in love with Jesus, the world will kick you out. That's what happened to Joseph and Mary. They kicked them out of the city. There is no fellowship. There is no in-between. There is no friendship. To be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. It's a clear line, ladies and gentlemen, that we have to walk. We need to learn that. I think of this manger. There's so much and so much more I could share that the Lord spoke to my heart concerning this. But I'll finish. I pray in Jesus' name that this Christmas... And when you look at this manger scene that you realize, yes, of course, thank God for the decor and how beautiful it can be and how wonderful our dramas can be and how inspiring. And they did a wonderful job. All of you did a wonderful job. But don't let its beauty numb you from the reality of what really happened that Christmas day and how the Lord chose a manger more so not to decor not as decor for your house but to reveal the heart of his son toward us would you stand to your feet with me this morning start loving jesus start thanking jesus start praising jesus and the world The world will boot you out. You don't have to worry about you trying to get rid of the world. I promise you the world can't stand Jesus. And if they find out that you're in love with the Savior of the world, they will do everything within their power to have you go find your own manger and get out of the city. But you know what? We should rejoice over that. Aren't you glad you're in the house of the Lord? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that you're here on Christmas Eve? You see, let the world have its holiday party, but it's good to be a part of God's people. Amen? It's good to be. It's good to celebrate Christmas the way we do. We celebrate a Savior. It's a good thing. The world has nothing lasting, nothing to satisfy your heart, and certainly nothing to give you that's worth the loss of your soul. Nothing. Once you receive Jesus, that's all you need. But for that, we need to understand how much he loves you. How, what he went through to come here this Christmas time. He didn't order ahead of time and said, get me a really nice plush manger when I get there. No. Get me a really nice suite on the highest floor at the embassy suite. No. He knew. 
He knew. The Bible says that he came to his own and his own did not receive him. He knew he was going to be rejected. But he thought of you. He said, you're worth it. He thought of you and he said, I'll still do it. He knew that the inn would have no room for him. He knew what that would represent to us on this day. He was willing to be rejected of men and still had it in his heart to come and be born to be your savior. He didn't have to stand up there and prove to us all he was. We know who he was before us. But still in his humility, he had to make a way so that you would never have an excuse why not to come to him. Doesn't matter how bad you say you are. All he has to do is turn your face to the manger. Look at the stable. Look at the hogs. Look at the cows. Look at the mess. Look at the old hay. Look at where I came and laid my head for you. You're telling me that you're a mess? Nothing should keep us away. Nothing. This Christmas, see, Jesus is still looking for a place to be born, but he's not looking for a manger anymore. Even if it's your heart is in the condition of a manger, he doesn't care. He's looking to be born in your heart today. And so I pray in Jesus' name that this Christmas season, when you sing a Savior is born, that you could be able to freely put your hand over your heart and say, a Savior is born born in my heart I do have room for him as I ask you right now to just bow your head for a moment I'm going to make this invitation for every single one of us in this house you've heard this message twice this morning the drama team presented it to you asked you the question do you have room now I've come up here and I've presented to you a little different picture but the question remains the same. We're burdened with the, to having to answer this. Do you have room? We've covered the fact that you have no excuse this morning. What can you say? How can you say no if Jesus did everything he did to prove to you that he didn't come for the well? He didn't come for those elite and high on the corporate ladder people. He, he didn't come for those who needed no help and no hope. He came for a one like me. Those without hope. Those that are broken. Those who understand that our life is not our own, but a gift of him that we might serve him. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.